welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Huai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in the D.C. area. And I'm joined by... I am Anya Crittenton, a writer for Gay Star News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. All right, guys, happy Sunday, or whenever you're listening to this, it's the end of October, and it's time for our Millennial Falcon monthly movie review. And so this week we are talking about Blade Runner 2049. So Blade Runner 2049 is uh, the newest film by Denis Villeneuve, uh, written by Hampton Francher and Michael Green. Uh, should be noted that Hampton Francher uh, co-wrote the original movie back in 1982. Um, based on, and this is based on um, characters uh, in Philip K. Dick's uh, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" The only character that comes back is Harrison Ford. Um, I'll give a short synopsis. A young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret leads him to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. Um, and it stars Ryan Gosling, Dave Bautista, Robin Wright, Mark Arnold, um, Anna de Armas, uh, Harrison Ford, uh, Jared Leto, 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 I don't know, um, Mackenzie Davis, and... Uh, Robin did, Wright? Did, did you say Robin uh, Wright? Did I say Robin Wright? Oh, yeah, did Robin, Robin Wright. Wright. All right. Sorry, mm-hmm. Robin Wright. Uh, but uh, that's it for main cast. Um, and, oh, it, and we should mention it was shot by Roger Deakins. Um, Very important. Our yeah. boy. Yep. Um, so that's kind of it on technical details of the movie. Uh, why don't we uh, break it down by character, theme, and plot? Yep. All right, so, yeah. or um, well, I guess we'll start with overall thoughts. Um, yeah. uh, why don't we start with HT? All right, so I was highly anticipating this film because Denis Villeneuve was fast becoming one of my favorite directors uh, after seeing Sicario and Arrival, which was my favorite movie of last year, Arrival was, and probably one of my favorite movies of all time. I adored the way that it took this sort of um, standard alien arrival story and turned it into this uh, love letter to like humanity, essentially. It was just, it was a wonderful send up to like all the cerebral sci-fi that's been out there and really tied it in with like with human emotion and human will and like the capacity that humans have for kindness, essentially. And um, I was expecting the same sort of sweeping, grandiose notions to return in Blade Runner 2049, which deal with somewhat, sim- not similar themes, but a lot of the sim- a lot of um, uh, parallel themes that have to do with humanity and will and love. Um, and I have to say that it didn't quite strike me as much as Arrival did. I really admired what it did, but for some, at some points, it, it felt a little hollow to me. I think 
I, I do like what it did with Ryan Gosling's character, which I in, at the beginning of the film is re- revealed to be a replicant. So I really like what, um, how it basically turned this, uh, you know, replicant who uh, is treated as such and is treated as someone who is without a soul and is basically, he's forced to question what is a human soul and what um, what makes a human soul, essentially. Like, that, that will and condition to live is examined through the lens of someone who is not inter- inherently human. And it was a really fascinating... Um, method of doing so it took the complete opposite direction of the original blade runner um in which harrison ford characters um rick deckard believes he's a human at first and then it's sort of implied or suggested at the end that he is in fact a replicant um and it's it has this whole idea of like the questioning of what is humanity and that kind of thing um so i think it was the most interesting and thoughtful examination of humanity that i've seen in ai films but there are parts of it that felt that kind of um, rubbed me the wrong way, I guess you would say. Uh, the um, the treatment of women in the film, the treatment of diversity in the film or lack thereof, and just the... I think that's it, actually. <laughs> um, the story itself was quite slow, but I appreciate that because it really allowed you to... Um, to ruminate on a lot of the themes that were going on throughout Blade, Blade Runner 2049. So yeah, I would say that I really thought the movie was gorgeous and stunning and dealt with a lot of themes that you wouldn't see in a lot of mainstream sci-fi films, but I don't know if it was completely, if it had a complete follow-through with what it was trying to say, with its ambitions. It might have fallen short a little bit of its ambitions. So that's my general sort of rambling overall thoughts of Blade Runner 2049. Nice. All right. Um, Willoughby, I want to know what your thoughts are. I like the film a lot. Um, I thought it was gorgeously shot and well acted all around and well directed. I think that it's definitely... I haven't seen a lot of uh, all of his movies, all of Villeneuve's movies, but um, I definitely would prefer Arrival over Blade Runner 2049, but I definitely like what he's doing in terms of visual storytelling, even though it does, it, I mean, he takes the world of Blade Runner and, like, really executes the tone and aesthetic that was, like, set up in that first movie, and really, like, he does, he does a, a good job of, like, keeping in tone with it, but also evolving it and showing, like, what this kind of, like, dystopian world would look like 30 years after. Um, and I like... Uh, it's obviously very slow. It's a very slow-moving movie. Uh, um, it's two hours and 43 minutes, which they could probably cut a lot of that off to make it a tighter movie, and it'll be fine. Um, I do think that... Yeah, like 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 you said that there's some issues with the diversity and with the treatment of women, um, and that's something we'll we'll get into. Um, I really liked Harrison Ford's performance mm. in the movie. I think he gives one of his most um, emotionally involved uh, like scenes in the past maybe 15 years I've seen of his films. Like I've never seen him that emotionally vulnerable before. 
and it was really interesting and very different. Um, Ryan Gosling was so good in it. He delivers a like definitely like one of the best the best uh, performances of of his career. I think I, my favorite is still the Nice Guys. Um, like just because he he does he's so such a and didn't know he could be that funny or that charming like all in one or not charming but like kind of a goofball. Um, but he kind of takes like his drive character from Drive, where he played uh, the driver, <laughs> um, and uh, kind of puts m- a lot more emotion into that role with K, Agent K. Um, I like that we found out he was a Blade Runner like right away because I think they were kind of like they didn't want to do the whole like. Is that he is a, a replicant Runner? right away. Is he a uh, replicant? That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, is he a replicant? Ooh. Like. They they ask a different question, and mm-hmm. I like the the question that they ask. Um, and we'll get into that because I actually liked the story of Kay's character development. I think like that drives the movie. Like Harrison Ford isn't in the movie for like the first, at least the first half. He's mm-hmm. definitely not in that in that yeah. first half. Like it's definitely his story, but then it flip flops, um, and we'll get like not flip flops, but it takes a turn. Um, it takes a very interesting turn that subverts some tropes. Um, and we can talk about the execution of that when we delve into plot and whatnot. But I kind of, I liked what they were do what they were trying to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's my favorite part of the film too. Yeah. Like, even you know though, what I'm, yeah. Even though I think that like what I was saying, I don't know if they completely followed through with some of like their ambitious ideas, but I think that it was the, one of the most unique takes on like, the AI sort of consciousness, like the Turing test and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. Turing test as well as like chosen one mm-hmm. tropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like I liked the way it subverted that. Um, I found the relationship between Joy and Kay interesting. In that I've never seen a story about a robot in love with an AI consciousness, or not in love. Well, I guess Kay was in love, mm-hmm. but. You know, it like like an interesting, like, re- like in this future, replicants who aren't human are have like they have relationships with a different, also a different form of life. You know, like there's yeah. like, I yeah I I see what you're saying. That one that that relationship wasn't quite compelling to me just because it felt so like inherently tragic because you know the only reason that he's drawn to this ai um characters because he you know is judged so harshly by others who are not replicants and people who are humans and he only turns to this one sort of um idyllic girl who like lend caters to all his needs and essentially in a way that like what we typically think a robot is like um anyways continue and and i i get that and i get that in but I I kind of like that it's tragic like that because it's cor- sort of like you see that this character, like he clearly is discriminated against by humans. He's you know like a uh, skin job is written all over his uh, door at the police uh, or no his apartment, and so like it he kind of has to turn to an AI for love, which is interesting. Um, and then his whole like grasp on memories and stuff which is a big theme in Blade Runner I really like that and I'm rambling now so we can uh, I'll wrap up but I like I mostly like I like the movie a lot 
Um, I def. I mean, I, I think it also depends kind of on how much you like the first movie because, like, it's very yeah. same. Like, like if you don't like Blade Runner, like you're probably not gonna like Blade Runner twenty forty nine as much as like people who do like Blade Runner. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, that. Def. I think that definitely factors in because you can't watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine really without seeing the first movie i mean you it could because it, it does could, explore but, it from a different perspective it explores it from a different perspective but i think that the the it it takes the takes the themes and the uh, and some of the story from the first movie and mm-hmm. like builds on it yeah so like you kind of have like in the back of your head if you didn't see the first movie you'd be kind of going like are they referencing something from the first film like yeah. i think i think that would kind of like put a shadow over your your expectations of the movie. Yeah. So before we before we go into Anya's thoughts, I want to know, Willoughby, did you like the original Blade Runner? I did. I did not. Um, I thought it was in- incredibly impressive in the way that it basically launched an entire uh, genre of film and uh, anime with the cyberpunk movement. But I thought that like the the story itself was pretty bare bones and like not in a I mean, I usually am okay with, like, bare-bones plots, but I didn't... I kind of thought it was half-baked in the way that I think that this movie was not quite as uh, thoroughly done as Arrival was. But, Anya, did you like Blade, the original Blade Runner? And what are your thoughts on 2049? Um, okay. So, my thoughts. I fell asleep. <laughs> That's okay. It happens. Um, I fell asleep in the movie I Am Number 4. We all do it. <laughs> um, I felt we were at 10 to 15 minutes uh, because no movie needs to be over two and a half hours unless you're the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, and to answer your question, I do not care for the original Blade Runner. Um, and when it came to Blade Runner 2049, my interest started with Denny Villeneuve and Roger Deakins and ended with them. I had zero interest in this film other than those two as creators. Mm. Um, Roger Deakins, once again, impeccable, perfect. Um, I can also still say that Denny Villeneuve has still never made a bad movie in his career, but this is certainly my least favorite of all his movies, mm-hmm. um, personally. I My two biggest issues, besides the length, um, was, like you said, HT, the treatment of women, which we'll get into, and also I just didn't care about anything, mm-hmm. about anyone, the story, the plot. I had no reason to care how it ended, what happened to people. I just could not have been less invested in what was happening on the screen. Um, which is unfortunate, because I think, like you said, there's a lot to admire um, about the ambitions of the film. And it is like meticulously well made, but I just did not care mm-hmm. at all. Um, and apparently I fell asleep during Harrison Ford's emotional performance, so whoops. That was, like, one of the saving points of the film. It's a highlight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely, like, my favorite part of the movie. Well, that's when I fell asleep. So, I want to bring up something interesting that I saw on Twitter in relation to people's reactions to this film. Because I feel like a lot fewer women like this movie than men. And I, this Twitter, this tweet pointed out that the plot of Blade Runner 2049 is basically a male power fantasy. Um, It's this, you know, mundane figure who is said to believe, like who 
comes to believe that he's the, the sort of chosen one, this prophetic figure who will help bring about, you know, the replicant revolution or whatever. And, um, you know, he has this AI love interest who only looks at him and who is adoring of him. And it, you know, it does, like Willoughby says, subvert that and bring about this more layered in-depth uh, evaluation or examination of um, what all of these uh, are, these tropes and these archetypes mean like this chosen one uh, prof- prophecy is kind of is kind of flimsy and shallow this uh, AI was just a series of zeros and ones pr- programmed to love him and at the end you know you have that scene where he sees joy again in that giant billboard and she says uh, what, what was the name she gave him John Joe Joe yeah. and she says oh are you interested Joe and then you know it all becomes it even more tragic and so i think that is kind of why it's it's um struck such a chord with a lot of male viewers and of viewers and former fans of uh the original blade runner just because you know it deals with all these issues that men sort of value in like their storytelling and that really cater to these sort of male protagonists and that kind of thing, but doesn't really take into account any other sort of perspectives or any other sort of, um, parts, uh, elements of these kind of stories, you know, like the whole, I, I remember not really liking the whole part of like the replicant revolution because I thought it was a little bit trite and it was also kind of rushed towards the end. And then, um, so it was interesting because it was a very introspective character study of this one man who kind of embodies everything that you see in like a male sci-fi genre um, genre flick. I think it's it's actually somewhat interesting because I've seen this sort of um, this sort of character type prop, pop up again in like various tr- like prestigious genre films in this year like war for the planet of the apes was just exalted by a lot of guys i know and i think it was a great film but it didn't ring true to me specifically blade runner 2049 was this for for a lot of people logan was this for a lot of people so i wonder if like there's like a really interesting it's not like it's not a terribly it's not a sexist trend or anything it's just like something that is a narrative that rings specifically true to a certain portion of people who, you know, see themselves in these characters, who have seen these type of stories for a long time. Does this make sense to anyone? It makes perfect sense, because you pointed out two of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah. That I kind of really liked. Mm -hmm. I mean, Uh, I like Logan a lot. I did not really care for War for the Planet of the Apes, except that I admired it. And then this is the same case for Blade Runner 2049. It kind of felt hollow to me, just because I feel like it wasn't made for me in mind. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's, problem. Let's. It's not a problem so much as an interesting like trend, I guess I would say. Or maybe yeah. it's because we're moving more towards like diversity and more representation in film, so that we're noticing more that these films are you know specifically made with this audience in mind or with like from their perspective of this audience. You know what I yeah. mean? It's it's fascinating. I'm just kind of like thinking about no, it, it now. Is, it is fascinating because like what you're what you're talking about with War for the Planet of the Apes and Logan, like those are very like, male centric movies that don't have a a lot of female characters, and when they do, they're not portrayed the best. Yeah, um, they're not I like mean, disparaging of female characters either, but it's definitely like from this very specific perspective. Yeah, like with like specifically with Logan. And War for the Planet of the Apes, like these two older, 
like Caesar's obviously not as old as Logan, but like an older ape. He's getting up there in age for apes. Logan is slowly dying, and like like these actually they have very similar like young women come into their lives that kind of like revitalize their like their hope for humanity i guess Mm -hmm. um um with with blade runner 2049 it's kind of similar k isn't old but he does he's like world weary he's world weary and he and then when he does end up like he has joy in his life (laughs) 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 get the pun get the pun of joy and love (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's actually the worst. Um, uh, but yeah, so he has joy in his life, who keeps him like, like, like. I don't want to say human, but like she makes he, him feel like, more human because she's makes, less so than him. Right, and and like gives him like a sense of normalcy, like that opening scene, or not opening scene, but the scene that introduces her. It's like, like the 50s doing, like, housewife a, and everything, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was like, ooh, like, that's problematic mm-hmm. as hell. Well, I don't know if it's problematic. It's interesting because it's very much in his perspective. And I don't think, I didn't find it problematic in that case as much as just, well, like, I, it's I guess deep in his when perspective. I, when I saw it at first, it was problematic. And then, like, she switched to, like, normal clothing. And I was like, okay, that's better. Because, like, if she was, like, like, in 1950s housewife mode... Like I, I didn't know where the movie was going with her character at that. I didn't know she was even a character, um, so I was like, "That's awkward." All right, let's not get far too far into specifics while we're not into the plot, characters, and um, themes yet. So, uh, yeah, let's wrap up our overall thoughts on this and get into the uh, first. Let's get into the character since we're talking about Joy a little bit. Um, so let's first talk about Agent K. Um, there's a lot to unpack with him, uh, mostly because, you know, he's kind of the antithesis to Rick Deckard's character in the original Blade Runner. Uh, Willoughby, what are your thoughts on, on Agent K? Um, I thought he had a really interesting character development because he goes from being like, just like a normal Blade Runner replicant who is just doing his job and then he stumbles upon the secret and then he's like, his like life literally unravels. Like he's like, he doesn't know what's real, or what's not. And like the way that he handles it, uh, in in like very human ways is very interesting. Like mm-hmm. the like when he like when um I f- uh forget her name, but the memory creator, um, ah, the best character in the film. She's great. And I, I love really, her. I really feel bad. I don't remember her name. Her name is uh, Anna. Anna. Yeah, Anna, um, Anna Stalline, Stalline? I think Stalline. Something like that, yeah. Stalline or something. Um, but, yeah, and so Anna was creating memories, and she was like, yeah, this one's real. And when he found, when he, like, that was, like, a great moment where he, like, freaked out, because he was like, oh, my God, am I the replicant, you know, the this replicant that I've been looking for? Mm-hmm. The crazy. replicant child, the first the chosen child, one. The chosen one, the one to lead the rebellion or whatever. And... Uh, it was a very interesting, like, kind of like he's like racking with himself about that, um, and then eventually he discovers he's not, and then he kind of is like, well, I guess I'll just save Harrison Ford and like <laughs> do something with my life, I guess. Um, but yeah, I liked I I liked Kay as a character. I think like obviously the most developed character of all. 
of everyone in the movie. Um, and I think Ryan Gosling did a good job. Um, what are your guys' thoughts? I agree that Ryan Gosling did a good job. Um, I mean, I really like him as an actor. Um, I mean, this is gonna this is gonna be a repeated trend for me, but I just didn't care about Kay. <laughs> um, and it's funny. I usually I really like um, stoic male characters when they're secretly giant dorks like mm-hmm. Darcy and Pride and Prejudice. But when they're just stoic and angsty, they're incredibly boring to me. And mm-hmm. so watching a white man angst and try and figure out if he's the chosen one uh, is less interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I agree with Willoughby that Ryan Gosling did a good job. I just personally, like, didn't really care about him or his evolution. Um, I'm sorry, this is going to be very boring for me, but... I just really struggled to connect with this film. Yeah. Um, no, I think that makes sense. That's I don't, I'm like really happy about my little thesis from earlier. I think I'm. I think it really hit the nail on the head. I agree. <laughs> I'm really impressed and amazed. I mean, <laughs> Go I, I I get it. Like I get why. I mean, I like. The, I mean, it it did it did strike some chords with me, mm-hmm. a white male. And that's not. There's nothing wrong with that. It just means that it's very specifically ingrained and in these sort of like male specifically male tropes and stories you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so yeah i actually i'm more um i'm more uh warm towards agent k than anya is i really liked um that sort of exploration that opposite exploration of the ai and like whether they have the, the capability for emotion or to pass for a human um, I saw, I think it's because I saw him as more of a tragic figure. Um, he is just very sad this entire time that he doesn't have a soul. And it's in that wanting a soul that he kind of gains it himself. Because, you know, that idea of the soul, I guess, is just the the will to live, that human condition in which you are motivated for something or you you are working or believe in something the belief i think that was the thing that really struck me because he like gains this belief throughout um throughout the film and it doesn't matter whether that belief is true or not it's that it's strong enough to drive him to you know uh leave his job leave his home leave everything he ever knew and that i think for me was what was really inspiring um so I think it did strike a little bit more of a chord with me, so that's why I liked it. I think that I liked that sort of, um, that examination of it. Uh, even though, yeah, like, kind of like Anya said, I didn't super connect with it, but I really liked what it was doing. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, I heard a comparison of later in 2049 to uh, the Spike Jones film Her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, Her is inherently a romance where Blade Runner 2049 is not, but, like, both are very... You know, both are futuristic, both are meditative, and both are, you know, slow and introspective. Um, And you have another, like, angsty white male at the center of her. Um, But where her is one of my absolute favorite films, Mm -hmm. for some, like, the emotional core of that film just connected with me so much more than this one. Right. Um, Maybe it was because Samantha was honestly more of a character than any of the women in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, she, she was, was just the voice. <laughs> um, 
And I think the lo- the emotion that it, that her was exploring was different than the one that was yes, that Blade Runner was exploring. It's it about definitely loneliness. was different. Yeah. Um. So I think you know it just every Blade Runner twenty four nine. You I hear you guys talk about it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yes, that's so good. That's so interesting and ambitious of Villeneuve. But like, it feels like this film is just held at arm's length to me. I can like recognize everything you guys are saying. Yeah. But it doesn't like translate. You know what it is? It's like a really good, like, doctoral thesis, and you're like, "This is a really good thesis," but then you read it and it's fifty pages long, and you're like, "I can't connect with it." <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. like it's like language that isn't like plain English. It's very mm-hmm. like yeah doctoral and yeah you know a, a lot of words that that don't need to, to be there than it does to you. Which I yeah. found really interesting. So yeah, I, I liked I liked a lot what it was trying to do. I think that was where, that's where it gains a lot of points for me. Um, mm-hmm. But let's uh, let's not do like a complete dive into all the characters. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Jared Leto as the weak, weak link of this movie. Uh, he was just what? basically a monologuing villain and really didn't really serve any purpose other than to kill a woman uh, who had just been. A, rep- a replicant who had just been made and then monologue to Harrison Ford somewhere. in a really like gross mm-hmm. way that was aimed specifically at violence towards women like yeah. specifically and, and like talking about pregnancy yeah mm-hmm. it was weird it was not that good. was gross and yeah. awful yeah like it's interesting that this movie has such a fascinating with you know childbirth and life and giving new life and it doesn't quite explore it it just you know explores it from the ryan gosling's perspective and it's like the chase and everything which is a fine enough story but for a for a for a story element that's so central it just kind of is kind of glossed over that makes sense also, yeah i think mm-hmm. the only the only human female character is robin wright's character i believe yes although wait is mackenzie davis's character human? she's a replicant no she's a replicant too how do you know what Oh, that happens later in the movie when she's at part of the Replicant Rebellion. No, she's oh right, a, she was there. Yeah, at the beginning when she, she's introduced, they're they're introduced as replicants too because they're like, oh, he's a Blade Runner, he's gonna kill us because he kills replicants yeah. or whatever. And she's a replicant working as a prostitute, which I guess is well, makes more sense for prostitution because you don't have to worry about like diseases or anything. This goes to show how much I picked up on. <laughs> <laughs> also, I I kind of assumed she was gonna be a replicant because she looks really similar to Daryl Hannah from mm-hmm. the original movie, and I was like, yeah. I wonder if that's just like a callback. But then she like. Was like a character. Yeah. Well, it's well, not really a character. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like uh, she had more of a part. I thought she was only going to be in like those first two scenes. Even even Robin Wright's character though was a type. All the female characters were just types. There was the whore, the prostitute with the heart of gold, which was Mackenzie Davis's character. There was the um, you know lovelorn '50s housewife uh, and French sort of pinup, uh, which was Joy. And then there was, uh, yeah, Robin Wright, who was the cold, icy commander who hits on Ryan Gosling at one point, too. And um, so, yeah, there's just, it wasn't, it was a really flat portrayal for all the and, women in the, and in the movie. And Love, who was, like, the stone-cold, like, killer oh, female. Oh, she was the best. Like, I almost forgot about her. Yeah. I loved her, actually. Um, <laughs> she was the best character. Like, and she did have like I liked her like you know she was holding back tears when like th- things were happening to other replicants. Mm-hmm. I believe in that opening that scene we were talking about with the yeah. 
I can't believe I sure. forgot about her because she was my favorite character. I know a lot of people yeah. criticized, you know, that she was only there to serve as a foil to uh, Ryan Gosling, but I liked that she was competitive. And at the end, you know, she yelled, I am the best one. I like that. I like that drive because she also has that drive, which is supposedly only present in like the human soul. And she's completely bought into the whole, you know, replicants are without a soul thing, but she's fine with it. She just uses it as a way to like compare herself to other replicants. Yeah. Like she's very self-aware in terms mm-hmm. of that. No, she was the best character. It's too bad because all the yeah. actresses in this movie were great. Um, the char- actress who played Anna, in the few scenes she had, she would she conveyed so much sort of like pain yeah. and vulnerability, and she yeah. barely had anything to do. The actress's yeah. name is Carla Juni, and mm-hmm. she was my personal favorite part of the film just because I found her to be so magnetic. Mm-hmm. I wanted to watch her for two hours. Yeah. Like I just thought she was so good and I couldn't take my eyes off her and she conveyed every emotion so beautifully. Yeah. But she was um, also just relegated to a type two, the princess yep. in the tower. Yep. It's it's unfortunate because, you know, in some with some directors, you know, these types can be given more complexity, can be given more depth. But in this case, Vina didn't really try to do that just because he was so focused on Agent K's story. And it was the up to the actresses to bring more complexity. And they, some of them did, but you can just tell that they were much more flatly written than the male characters were. Which is a shame because there's a lot more female characters than male characters mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Deckard and... Uh, Kay and then Jared Leto's character are like the three main male characters. Yeah, but it still felt so male-driven. It did. I mean, it was. There's no doubt about that Mm -hmm. that it was. And like the the female characters were not as well-written as they could be or should be. Um, And I think that's a problem on the the screenwriter's screenwriter's problem as well. Um, You know, Villeneuve can only direct so much. Um, with what he's got without changing the script and stuff, which is a bummer. Um, so I want to wrap up on characters, unless you guys have one, anything else you want to add. Um, um, do you want to add anything about go- Harrison Ford? I was just going to oh, talk yes. about Harrison Ford for a little bit. Yes. Um, just that he is – he that I like that they took Deckard's performance – or not performance uh, – character arc from the first movie which was kind of like Harrison Ford he's not great in Blade Runner um and they kind of just made him Harrison Ford in this like with like grumpy and you know but like more emotional and with like a sense of the past that like a tragic past um which I found interesting um yeah no, yeah, Harrison Ford's performance was one of the best aspects of the film. And, uh, yeah, I, you talked a lot about Ryan Gosling, too. He he impressed me the most as well for, like, of all the performances I've seen of him so far. This one, he was so emotive in just, like, the subtlest of glances or subtlest of face facial movements. Um, yeah, Harrison Ford's – Rick Deckard's uh, plot was – pretty small even though he was sort of the ending scene which i thought was interesting he had like the emotional climax at the end even though he was introduced so late in the film and it almost didn't work it worked though because harrison ford's performance really just kind of drew everything together um i do want to say point out one last thing uh sean young's character 
was another female character who was only introduced briefly as uh, the young version of herself. She was, and the actress was never asked to reprise her role or anything like that. And I think that, like, that portrayal of Sean Young as the young replicant once again kind of feeds into the, the problem that this movie has with women and you, and kind of keeping them outside of that box that they, that we have them in of, uh, her as the beautiful, young, almost seductress and like the mother of new life and everything like that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. We don't see a lot of older women outside Robin Wright. Uh, we do see the, the replicant sort of leader too. But yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate. I'm gonna be, be sad about the lost, the lost potential for the women in this film. Alright, um, let's move on to the story. So, uh, what did you guys think of the story for this film? Anya, I'm gonna go with you first. Um, <laughs> um, too long. I mean, the whole movie was too long. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. While the movie was happening, I felt like I didn't really get anything that was happening. Um, and then afterwards, when I was trying to explain the movie to my roommate, I realized that I got more than I realized. It just, again, nothing like, uh, Anya. nothing connected during the movie. Can you reprise your explanation of um, Blade Runner 2049 to your friend? Because I think oh it will give us a little bit of a, <laughs> a little comedic kick in here. Um, can try. It was a lot of me being like, um, giving her bits and pieces totally out of order. And I was like, so Ryan Gosling has this AI girlfriend, but then he has like a threesome with like a real girl. And then like Robin Wright's boss and Jared Leto's there for like no reason. I don't really know what he's doing, to be honest. And, um, (laughs) and then she would ask me questions and I'd be like, maybe I have no idea. Yes. And I'd be like, I I really don't know. And I remember that wall of text that appeared at the beginning of the film, Mm -hmm. which was a huge warning sign to me. That I wasn't going to get what was going to happen, because when you put so much text on a screen at the beginning of a film, because you have to, like, preface your film, that's a bad sign to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, reread all of that to her. <laughs> and I and she was like, so are there no replicants? And I was like, yes, but, like, there are these and there are these, but I don't know if everyone's a replicant. Are there humans? I don't really know. And, like... <laughs> So that is how I explained the movie to my roommate. And that's kind of how I felt when I was watching the film. <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea. And then I was like, oh, and there's like child labor in the film too. Mm. Like, and I would just randomly throw things out at her. And I'm like, that's what watching this film was like to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I realized like, then I went on Wikipedia and I read the plot summary. Mm-hmm. And I realized I actually got a lot more than I realized. Um, but... None of it made sense to me at the time. I still don't understand Jared Leto's character or what he was trying to do. Um, I still don't understand, like, the, the actual plot. Yeah. But, like, why? Yeah, there's a lot of whys in this movie. Like, I don't understand what the actual plot of this movie... Like, I get, like, the mystery. Like, there is a child and they want to find it. But mm-hmm. I was like, who is Jared Leto to this world? Like, I know he created new replicants that, like, obey now. But I was like, who is he to the world? What does he do? Why do they want to find the child? What's the... Like, I had no idea. I still don't know what the actual point of the movie was. I really don't. So, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) there were a lot of uh, (laughs) clashing themes in this one. Yeah, but Jared Leto, his uh, presence was a little bit confusing. I think he was just there to have his awesome henchmen, you know, 
punch Ryan Gosling. So I was down for that. Um, but like, why were they after Ryan? I don't. They were. They were after I still the kid. understand like them as an organization, like what they so do. He or was what trying, they were trying to mass produce replicants again after they'd been banned, and I got he that. wanted to have find the kids so that they, he could find his own way of mass producing like these. Uh, replicants who can give birth so we can have more replicants, even though that sounds yeah. like a, it's actually a much more tedious way to make more replicants because yeah. 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 Basically, it's a long time. He basically wanted to discover the the creation of life through replicants and if they can replicate themselves. And then uh, b- because he wanted to take over like the colonies and stuff and extend his like grasp of the universe. Yeah, he wanted to really or something. Yeah. They're like three types of villains or whatever there's like the one who wants to take over the world the one who's just like psychotic and then the one who i think the third one is like the one who wants revenge mm-hmm. so is jared leto just the one does he want to take over the world he wants to like take over villain? the world he's psychotic yeah he's both okay great yeah. i didn't get a okay <laughs> cool yep that's me with this film so willoughby how did the plot uh, work for you <laughs> Um, I liked it, <laughs> you know, like, I think it, I think it, I liked, you know, the way that it was, it wasn't as noir-y, noir-ish as the first movie, or, you know, the idea of doing, like, a, a like, a techno-noir, um, I do like it was, like, a mystery, and he was, like, unraveling it, and, like, while he was unraveling the mystery of the child, he was unraveling the mystery of himself, or lack thereof. Um, and I like that switch where he mm. was like, so I'm not the chosen one. Yeah. What? Like he would, like, I like that that was like, you know, you take a character and you, and you throw him to like, you give him, you put him on a pedestal and you take the pedestal away from him. And then you see, when like, did he figure out he wasn't the chosen one? When, During the, when the replicants saved him, yeah, Mackenzie Davis's character. Rep- the replicant leader was like, oh, Honey, did you think you were the chosen one? No. Like, she says something very similar to that. Yeah, basically and, and said that. And he's, like, blood, he's got, like, a bloody face, and, like, he's, like, borderline tears. And he's just, like, what? Like, he How do we say know anything. it's Anna? Because it was a girl, and she's the one who implants memories, so she implanted her own memory into him. Her own real memory. Mm-hmm. And, like, he, like, figured out. He was, like, oh, okay. Um... Yeah, because she said a little earlier during their first meeting, it's like she's like, sometimes I plant my own like real things, or like, it makes it more real. Yeah, yeah, sometimes the best memories are the real ones. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. And so it was it it, and then he was like, oh, so they were he, like, and Harrison Ford like scrambled the data to make it appear that he was the one with the memories. To make it or, appear that it was a a female a one that died and a male yeah. one that survived. Yeah, but really it was the opposite, or just it was like none. Like, yeah, it, it well, was. Yeah, it just like yeah. was a way to hide her. Um, I yeah. promise, I'm tw- totally qualified to be getting a master's right now. <laughs> I promise, I'm not usually this dumb. It's okay. It took me a little bit to figure <laughs> out what was happening. I was like, okay, so so she's the the chosen one. Okay. Yeah, and actually, for me. I liked the pl- I liked that this plot was much more simple and much more straightforward than the original Blade Runner. Um, so I I got the same thing as as Willoughby it was just like a ma- a mystery that he was unraveling and it was the mystery of himself and of of life or whatever. Um, so I enjoyed that. I thought the plot was drove 
along really well, except, yeah, it was way too long. I don't mind when it lingers and meanders and sort of allows you to ruminate on the themes that they were introducing, but I definitely think there were a couple things that could have been cut out, like just Jared Leto altogether. Most of his scenes, his solo scenes, were just very dull and had nothing much to do with the plot except to emphasize or highlight how evil he was. And like, I don't really need to know that. He just wants world domination. That's a very simple motivation. Um, actually, I just, I, I wish Jared Leto wasn't in the movie at all. <laughs> so he, he, I do like that he wasn't in the movie as much as I thought he would be. Yes, but I still think whenever he was in the movie, he kind of dragged it down. Um, but yeah, I, I liked the plot. I, that was, yeah, see, like for me, I'm like, oh yeah, I really like this movie, but like it just didn't, didn't hit that chord with me, but I liked most of the elements of it. Um, so let's move on to some of the themes. Um, we've touched on themes of women. Um, I want to talk a little bit about diversity in this film or lack thereof. Um, there were, uh, only a couple people of color in this film, one of which was the morgue, uh, or like replicant attendee who, uh, was killed by love. Um, and curiously, Robin Wright's character had a Indian name, like of Sanskrit origin. Um, but Blade Runner 2049 borrows a lot from the original Blade Runner's aesthetic, uh, which is like the cyberpunk sort of East meets West um, retro aesthetic that really was influenced by the Los Angeles Chinatown at the time. Um, so Blade Runner's original sort of Chinese influenced aesthetic and that sort of globalized future makes sense but it makes a lot less sense in 2049 just because there are absolutely no um people of asian descent that can be seen in this film there is uh dave dave batista who's half filipino and there's one asian child in one of the memories the cake memory and otherwise it is completely white and that is a problem with this film that actually took me out for a little bit. So did you guys notice that? Was that a problem for you? I I did notice it, and it was a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah I it like, reminds me of, um, like, Firefly. Yeah. The problem with Firefly. Those were the thoughts um, I had, too. Like, the Firefly yeah, effect. When they, like, use... Um, Chinese curse words... Yeah, yeah, it was just like um like a a culture, like a certain culture as like a backdrop mm-hmm. um without actually representing that culture. Yeah. Um it makes and, it seem more exotic and it yes. kind of makes sense in sort of like this world building sense that the world is more globalized, but if it's more globalized, where are all the are the people, people of color? People of color, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's how I felt. Yeah, that was a problem for me. Um what other themes did uh, struck you in the film, Willoughby? Um, I keep going back to the subversion of the chosen one trope. Um, that one was really cool. Um, the theme of like, like if you like real versus not real. Mm-hmm. Like I like the idea that it didn't matter if Harrison Ford was a replicant. Like they don't, they didn't answer the question, and at this point, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like. What he, what his, his thoughts and feelings uh, matter to him, so they, they, they're real. So he's real, even if he may be a replicant. Like, you know, it's never answered. I like that. You know, 
what like you were you said earlier that you know these characters had like belief systems or they developed a belief system throughout their mo- the, like through their character development <coughs> sorry um so that it it that those belief systems like made made it real for those characters and i like that idea of like just because if you believe it yeah it's real like mm-hmm. don't worry about it like yeah Ryan Gosling believed that his his love for Joy or Joy's love for him was real until he realized it wasn't. Yeah, that was my favorite theme of Blade Runner twenty forty nine too. Just like belief is the strongest power and it's the closest thing that we have to our idea of the human soul, like that un undying belief that you are fighting for something or you're fighting towards something. And I think that's the one that's that's the thing that's like the most inherently human. That was something that was. A beautiful concept to me. I wish it was almost I, they had hit it a little harder, um, but I I liked it and I liked that Vienna kind of explored that idea of like belief uh, in a lot of his films. He kind of did it in Arrival too, and the idea of memory and what whether like la- loss and tragedy are enough, you know, just to get you by in this world, or like, can you like deal with this loss and tragedy if you believe that's for something greater? If you believe something better will come along, so it's it's such a beautiful concept that it didn't bring me to tears like Arrival did, but I like that Villeneuve keeps coming back to it in his films, um, and uh, uh, yeah, the ideas of of memory were really interesting to me too because that's also something that he returns to. I'm coming th- at this from like. A directorial perspective less so than how it was used in the film um but i think that was the thing that drew it drew me to it the idea of like this real memory and like you said memory will be whether like that sort of that um grasp of reality becomes less uh important throughout the film and um i think that that, that because of that because of these themes that Blade Runner 2049 explores, it finally does answer kind of the questions that the original Blade Runner asks, like what humanity is, what is reality, and it kind of answers, it doesn't really matter as long as you believe that it's real. So, Anya. I like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, for as much as this movie didn't connect with me, um, I do love um, explorations of humanity. It's always one of my favorite themes in storytelling, um, you know, and it's why I love inherently human characters. Um, it's why the race of man is my favorite in Lord of the Rings. Um, and so I liked that. Um, and it was probably the bit that I connected with the most, um, you know, when that line that Ryan Gosling has about like how, like, if you are born, you have a soul, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're made, you don't. Um, and that idea of, you know, like, can you have a soul even if you are made? What is a soul? Um, I almost wish they had gone deeper with that. I mm-hmm. felt like there was more to explore. Um, and in a two-hour and 43-minute runtime, they could have found time to do so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I do think that is interesting, and I liked that element. Um, I almost just wish the movie had felt a little more human, I guess, so I could connect with it more getting deep there i like that um, thought yeah like the hu- the movie felt more like a replicant <sighs> all right i actually think that's a great way <laughs> to end our discussion um on blade runner 2049 our review of it uh 
what would you guys give Blade Runner 2049 out of five stars? I'll go first. I would give it three and a half out of five stars. Willoughby. I'm going to go with four. Okay. I give Roger Deakin cinematography a hundred million out of five. Um, Willoughby, don't shake your head at me. Listen, I love him. He deserves an Oscar. No, I know he does, but I just know um, that your score is not going to be as high as your Roger Deakins score. No, it's not. My score is going to be a two and a half out of five. Ooh. Okay. I kind of guessed that. <laughs> I, I get it. All right, so the Millennial Falcon gives Blade Runner 2049 3.3 out of five stars. Not bad. That's not bad. That's mm-hmm. average, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's halfway. A higher than average? Yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. like half. It's not 2.5 when I gave it so. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Willoughby, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? So, a little Netflix show called Stranger Things is coming back this week. And so in preparation of it coming back, I rewatched the entire series uh, in one sitting. And let me tell you, it's still great. It still is, you know, the nostalgia wallop that we all enjoy. Uh, I know we, we did a whole episode on it. And uh, I, we, we, you know, we unpacked some of its negative aspects but i think most mostly we liked it a lot Mm -hmm. um and so you know i just the characters are so strong um the performances are great the i the the, this is the third time i've rewatched it and i really like the um i kind of i like the the cinematography and the movie making or i guess tv making but you know production value of the movie uh i i noticed it a lot more in good ways, I, I was like, "Oh, I like the shot compositions of what, everything that's happening," um, because you know the first time around you're like you're just getting a, a sense of this, and then the second time you're kind of like more character, and this time it's more production value. So, um, but yeah, I'm excited to watch season two. It comes uh, out just this for weekend. the record. Uh, we are recording this before uh, Sunday, so this episode will air after Stranger Things has dropped on Netflix. Yeah, but before so, we've been able to watch it at the time of recording. Yes. In anticipation of its release, uh, it's my really like. So. All right. And the reviews have been positive. Like, a lot of them have been saying, like, if you like the first season, you'll like season two. Yay. All right, Anya, what's your really like this week? All right, are you guys ready for some trash opinions? I am so ready. Ooh, I'm not sure. For the dumpster we... fires of opinions. Oh, is, it, is, it a, is it a hot take? Um, I don't really know about that, but there are definitely some trash opinions in here. Um, not anything to do with my baby Steve Harrington, because like HT just said, we haven't been able to watch season two yet, but I'm fully expecting to love him even more. Um, no, uh, so I went to Disneyland, uh, last weekend as I normally do. That is not a trash opinion because Disneyland is the best place on earth. Um, but Disney's California Adventure has a theater where they put on... Uh, like a full-blown production of one of their movies, like a musical version. Um, Aladdin was there for the longest time. Aladdin's now on Broadway. Um, And so it's sort of like a way for them to, like, workshop their own musicals. And so they currently have Frozen there. Is it Um, the one that's going to be on Broadway? Well, so 
I mean, no, because the Broadway one will be longer, and the Broadway one is already workshopping. Okay. But like, I think what um, what I really like is um, Frozen. First off, I know Frozen's kind of that Disney thing that's like overhyped still, and so people are kind of like off the train a little bit now. But like watching the stage version reminded me of really how good Frozen was and still is, and how much I still really enjoy it, and how great the music is, and I can absolutely see it as a Broadway musical a lot of the production value even in this like theme park 45 minute short version was incredible and with the budget of a Broadway production I'm so excited to see what they do um so what I'm really liking is Frozen and that it still definitely holds up I'm excited to see a Broadway version of it um and I'm really liking it and the trash opinion comes in in that I still Really love Prince Han of the Southern Isles. Wait a minute. He's a bad guy. You hate villains. I know. We've been through this, Anya. I know. Anya, we can't keep doing this. He is my one weak link. Because at least with Wilson Fisk, he's just a great character. And so I can love him from that. But with Prince Han of the Southern Isles, I just have a big, fat, dumb crush on him. Because he's so charming, and he's voiced by Santino Fontana, and Love is an Open Door is the best song. <sighs> it's, it's also his villain song. I like that. I know. But he also, there's that moment in the water, under the boat, when Anna walks away, and he smiles, and she's not looking at him anymore. So it's like, why are you smiling? No, you know why he's smiling? Guy. Because he knows he's going to get this no, kingdom. No, but it exactly. is not a villain smile. It is like a genuine smile, and no, it keeps it, me up at it's night. A, it's a genuine <laughs> smile that he knows he's going to get away no, with this. No, plan. no, that's not what that smile says. Listen. Anya, Anya, he's a villain. He's got red hair. I know, I know. He's trash. I'm trash four Hans, and this is where we are and i've been here since 2013 when this movie first came out all right thanks anya (laughs) (laughs) willoughby still wants to like interrogate me i can tell so this goes against your entire character i know all right let me see my really like oh yeah my really like this week is that i finally got my movie pass Yay! And I highly recommend it to everyone. So if you are not aware, MoviePass is this sort of subscription service that allows you to um, watch a movie, one movie a day uh, at a movie theater. So you pay $10 a month, which means that if you see one movie in that month, then you'll make back your money. So you basically see like you can see like 50, how many days are in the way in the month? You can see like 29 free movies in a day, in a month. So it's, it's very cool. It, it's, um, you basically get like this little debit card, um, and you have an app that goes with it. And when you get to the theater, then you have to go on the app, say that you're going to see this movie and then, um, the money will go to your, uh, to your movie pass card and then you can buy it through a kiosk or with the register. So I went to see Battle of the Sexes, which was a great movie, and I thoroughly enjoyed going to see it. 
So I'm very happy with my movie pass. It worked smoothly, despite some of the troubles that people have had with it in the past. It was incredibly smooth for me, and I recommend it to everyone. And now, if you get a movie pass, you can see all the trash movies you want. Speaking of trash, so I was as long as you as long as you spend like the first movie on like a good movie. You know, and then you spend the rest of your twenty nine movies available on yeah. like no, you can, shit storms like Geostorm. You can also see the bad movies every day because it's basically free movies. Although some of the caveats of a movie pass, you can't buy ahead of time, and it only works for regular two D tickets, so you can't do three D um, or, or IMAX. IMAX. Yeah. Or D box. <laughs> Anyways, movie pass. Here's your ad. There you go. That was my This week's Millennial one. Falcon is sponsored by <laughs> Movie Pass. Movie Pass. Pass the movies. <laughs> All right. Um, so that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on Blade Runner 2049, Stranger Things, Frozen, don't at me about Hans, or Movie Pass, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Um, our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Our you can listen to our RSS feed on SoundCloud. We're also on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We also want to remind you that our hundredth anniversary is coming up, and or uh, not anniversary, our our hundredth episode is coming up, and we're going to be doing a special all really like edition so if you want to be a part of that send a voice memo to us and you can uh send that to millennial falcon podcast at gmail.com um or dm us for uh specific details on how you want to send us um a little 30 second to one minute uh really like of what you've really liked of pop culture in 2017 so please do that uh we really want to enjoy pop culture with you all because this has been a hellscape of a year. So, where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye!